0: morning everybody. Does that sound good? All right. This is just such a privilege to be able to share the gospel this morning and uh, if you guys could feel this half as much as I've felt it through the weeks kind of preparing for this, um, it's uh, going to be cool. It'll be fun I hope. But I can't see what I'm doing because I don't have my old people glasses on quite yet. All right. So what I want to do is kind of set the groundwork for John uh, 15 a little bit and I want to steal some of the stuff that Matt has used in the last weeks. Um, But that's okay, because he stole it from Frederick Bruner. And uh, so if he can can steal it, I can steal it as well. So let me try this one more time. Hello, 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 hello. All right. All right. Sounds good. So there are three big things in John that I want to kind of think about here for a second. The first one is that John opens with those incredibly majestic words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that calls you right back into Genesis 1, And so there's this parallel between Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and John 1 where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So in Genesis 1, God's spirit moves over the water, and as he speaks, things come to life, right? He speaks, and and there's light, and there's moon, and sun, and all that kind of stuff. The same thing happens in John. It's a second creation, and so John is this same kind of majestic gospel. I think we still have the eagle up there. John's the gospel that soars uh, to incredible heights. A part of that mag- majesty and majesticness is the Trinity and the divinity of Christ, okay? So if you listen to the opening words again of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was light, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness And the darkness can never overcome it. And then down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. glory glorious of the only begotten of the Father. This is awesome. And it has to do with the, the Trinity, right? As Christians, you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You believe that God is one in essence and three in persons. You believe that before the very creation of the world, The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were delighting in each other, rejoicing in each other, laughing, singing, just whatever they were doing before they created the world. And then this world burst forth as a part of that. But you believe that Jesus was a part of that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's going to be really crucial for abiding in the vine, because you're abiding in God. You're abiding in divinity. He's not an older brother, he's not an exemplar, he's not an outline, he's not a template, he's not something to look up to. Oh, I'll do it like Jesus did, okay? He is so far beyond that, that when you think of abiding in the vine, I want you to know what you're abiding in. And then the last third thing that Matt talked about a lot is this notion of believing, okay? Which is not an intellectual assent. If you are a Christian, you don't believe in a set of principles, you have a creed, you have a doctrine, you have all that stuff, It is a trusting into something, okay? It is a moving into a relationship and then the creed and the doctrine and all those things form that and structure that, but that's not what it is, okay? You don't sign the cards. I believe in these things. Here we go, okay? You are known by him and he knows you. That's what it means to be a Christian, okay? And I was thinking about Christianity from the outside. Um, For us, we might know that, or from the outside, Christianity looks like a lot of rules and a lot of ethical behavior and a lot of lifestyle that they want you to kind of walk in. And that's part of the problem with evangelism, right? We have to be able to share the love we have with him with them, the relationship that we have, not a set of rules and not a set of behavior, okay? All right, so those are the three big things right there. A little further into the context here. Um, So we got uh, John 13, right? We have this incredible act of love where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, right? And then that's bookended by the end of the crucifixion. So you have these two amazing acts of love, the washing of the feet and the crucifixion. And then you have this kind of random, random, rambling dialogue in the middle, at least rambling to me. And it goes chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And he's talking about all kinds of things. He's making them scared a little bit, like hey, I'm leaving you, and where I'm going, you can't come, and one of you is going to betray me, and the rest of you are all going to deny me and run away, but don't worry about it. Let not your heart be troubled. Um, You know, it's all going to be okay, and I don't know what they're thinking in the middle of this conversation, right, because it's just going on and on and on, but in the very core of that, at the very center is I am the vine, and you are the branches, okay, it is the last of the seven I am's. And when we go back to the notion of divinity, right, that Jesus is actually God, can you grasp that in any way? I'm, for, I'm going back to my teacher mode. and I'm expecting you to answer here. Can you grasp that in any way that he is divine? I don't think so. The monks used to say it this way, is that the finite cannot grasp the infinite. Okay? It's impossible for you to do. Okay? As smart as you think you are, okay, you cannot wrap your mind around the expanse of God. OK, so he's given us seven little pictures in John to help you do that. All right, because it's not like we know nothing of God. I'm like looking through the plant that's there. It's not like we know nothing of God, but he's given us the seven I am's, which are pictures of who he is. And we're going to end um, with uh, I am the vine. So here they are. Um, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the door. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And in your Christian life, you ought to be thinking in and out and around and about those seven I am's. Okay, because they tell you how he takes care of you and how he feeds you and how he opens you into good pasture and how he is the life and how you have hope in the resurrection that he will bring you back from the dead. And so as Christians, it becomes kind of a warp and a woof of our understanding of who Christ is. Okay, and that's why John is maybe not the fourth most favorite gospel for some people It it might be the first. Long story. It was an inside joke. All right, I don't know how inside. Okay, so we're going to move to uh, John 15 here. And we've already read this, but there's a couple of places in there that I want to just take note of real quick. I am am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And I want to just make a quick comment about the takes away part, because later in there it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and he dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned, okay? I just want you to know that that's not a threat to you. That's a description of reality. See the difference? God is not threatening you. He is describing reality. So it's a 20-story building, right? And I know a little bit about biology. I know a little bit about physics. And I say to you, I'm going to throw myself off the 20-story building. And it's not a cartoon. I don't get to sit up here for a while and then fall, okay? you know enough about physics and biology to know that i am what i'm dead stupid and dead okay but if i come back before that and i say well that's just your opinion that's what you think it might be true for you but it's not necessarily true for me you would go really (laughs) really and that's pretty clear because we have a basic understanding of science and, and we don't think of things in relative terms with physical things But I'm here to tell you that within the spiritual and psychological and social world and within the spiritual world, it is just as real, it's just the instantaneousness of it doesn't happen. So that I could drink a gallon of poison and it's pretty instantaneous, I'm dead, okay? That's true in the physical world. But when you move to a different world, let's say you move to a social or psychological world, let's say somebody, um, a man or a woman introduces violence into a marriage. Is that going to poison that marriage? It's going to be incredibly hard to ever get over. It's going to radically change every conversation, everything that happens. Every, it's, it's a poison that is just as real as you jumping off that building. Okay? And if, when you move to the spiritual world, if you pull yourself from the vine, okay, and we live more in the root and branch kind of world, if you have no roots in God, just as sure as when you jump off that building or you introduce violence into a marriage, there, it's going to poison you and it's going to kill you. And so this isn't really a threat; it's just reality. If you are in God, you are in Him, and if you're not, you're not. Okay. And I, you know, I usually don't like things to be that black and white. I kind of like both and or multiplicity of options. But this one's pretty clear: you're abiding in Christ, or you're not. Okay. And so that's one of those things we have to kind of think about and work through on some level. All right. So what the root and the trunk are to the trees, Bruner says. Jesus is to human life. N- make sense? What the root and the trunk are to trees, Jesus is to human life. In saying literally, I am the real vine, Jesus is as much as claiming to be the authentic Israel in person. And he translates the scripture this way. I, I am the real root of the matter. Um, I, I am the real root of the matter. It's the I am again statement. So that's where we're headed into, and that's what we're going to move toward. All right, let's hit the scriptures, because that's going to be the fun part. This notion of the vineyard goes deep throughout the whole Old Testament. And as soon as Jesus says, I am the vine, again, their hackles are up. You're not Jewish, right? You're not a Hebrew at this point. So maybe your hackles aren't quite up as much. But for them, he's just, wait a minute. God is the vine dresser, and Israel is the vine. You've just claimed that you are Israel that you are the true Israel in the flesh here. And so their hackles are up. If you go back to Isaiah 11, it says, then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse and a branch from the roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's one of the coolest phrases in the Bible. With joy, you will draw salvation. You will, you will draw, I better not say it if I don't know it. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that's the picture I want you to get today, is this notion of you setting your roots into God and being able with joy, pull up life out of Him. That's the metaphor, Right? So that the sustenance you need when the winter comes, when the storm comes, when the lightning hits, when the bugs come and chew on you is all there, right? That you can defend yourself, that you can be strong, that you can be healthy in the midst of all things, right? And if you know anything about the kind of the new biology as they're beginning to study forests, what they're finding out is that as trees interact within their root systems, there's actually some communication tree to tree between the root systems. Did you know that? And that sometimes there can be nutrients that one tree has and it can move over to another. And this whole forest is actually not just tree, 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 but it's this living, breathing, vibrant thing. So that as Brent digs his self down into the roots of God, and as you do, and as you do, and as you do, and as we become this community, this place of faith, we can also draw sustenance from one another. As you draw from God, and as I draw from God, and as we all draw from God. Is that cool? That is awesome. And that's what we want to be. Right. Is a true community of faith, a true place where we can draw from the wells of salvation with joy. Right. With joy. I love that scripture. So let's get to Psalm one. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night and he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And here's the negative part again. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which is blown about by the wind. Again, not necessarily a threat, but a description of reality. Okay, an interesting time. uh, I retired from teaching. I taught 24 years and I took care of my dad for three and a half years. And it was the most awesome experience of my life. I thought he was taking care. I was taking care of him. He was actually taking care of me. Um, and it was beautiful, but the first year, I didn't have a job, and so we went up to the senior center, and uh, wow, to go from teaching, and everybody, goes, oh, I like your class, I like you, Mr. Guys, blah, 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 to me and my dad, and I'm helping him with his walker, going up to the senior center, that was a pretty radical shift of the system, okay, pretty radical shift of the system, but it was an interesting place because people were dying, and so once every month, one, twice a month, you'd hear this, hey, we just need to let you know that so-and-so is back in the hospital, or so-and-so has died. Or, and you'd feel this, uh, just this heavy, uh, it was sad. And these people were great. They were amazing. But I would say there was a lot of sadness there, okay? And there was some anger there, and there was some bitterness there, and there was some frustration there. Makes sense. It's a tough time. Well, as they say, what, growing old is not for sissies? Does it say that? It's tough, Okay. But one of the things interesting is I met a friend there named Millie. And I saw her instantly right across the room the first time I saw her. And uh, right before dinner, they had her stand up and pray. And Millie had to be like 180 years old. I don't know. And there was just such joy coming out of her, such life coming out of her. And so I worked my way. Hey, Millie, you're a believer. I go, I'm a believer. Yeah. And we started talking. Boom, boom, boom. And what had happened, though, though her body was dying, her spirit was growing. And she was getting stronger and more and more beautiful as her body withered away. That's our goal, right? Is that our goal? Is that our character, our inside, our personness, our relationship with Christ, our filling of the Holy Spirit is so powerful that though our bodies die, our spirits are growing and getting stronger and more beautiful. And Millie was the most beautiful testament to that. It was awesome. Okay. Okay. So what goes on? The first part of this is pretty easy, right? Uh, How blessed is a man um, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand on the path of the sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's pretty clear, right? I'm going to delight in the law of the Lord, and I get fed. Is that good? Anybody have a problem with that? Okay, so as I fellowship, as I study the word, as I learn the things of God, as I put my heart to him, as I pray, I take communion, I get filled with grace. And that's a really beautiful thing, okay? And it happened just because that's the way it did it, okay? The other thing is kind of tough here. See, I don't know, humans can do this. I don't think plants can really do this, except in sci-fi. But humans can, instead of rooting themselves in God, they can root themselves in other things, right? And that, that gets a little crazy, okay? So, but we'll just use the plant as an illustration. So the plant says, I am sick of all this soil. I am sick of all this water, that is ridiculous. Who wants that stuff? right? So Mr. Plant here, I know it's a Mennonite church and we're not supposed to be violent, but ugh, I just tore that brood apart. So Mr. Plant here, that's probably a little much, isn't it? Illustrations never go quite as you expect. Yeah. You know, I usually say when something like this happens that it's Kim's fault. Because people don't like to blame her. So there's that. So, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So, maybe, not like Mountain Dew, maybe that'll be a little of the counsel of the wicked, right? Maybe I can sustain myself in the counsel of the wicked. Is that a plan? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. That's a good idea. A little olive oil. It's good for you. Let's stand, walk in the pathway, stand in the pathway, sit in the seat of scoffers. That's a heck of an idea. Vinegar seems like very scoffy to me. Mmm, I love it. I love it. So as you move into... Sorry, hun, Farmer wipe right there. Mm. Um, as you move into things that are not intended to sustain you, they might be good things in and of themselves, olive oil or mountain dew or vinegar, but they're not built for that. OK, and when you live in things that aren't built for that, it's going to kill you eventually. OK, so if Jesus is the true vine, these are what I call false vines and false roots. What do you, what, what am I talking about? Are there things that God gives you that are beautiful? Right. And you receive those things from God and you're like, they are awesome. And when you receive a good thing from God, what ought you to do? Receive it, delight in it. Say woohoo! Enjoy it and give thanks where? Back to God. Because He gave it to you. Why did He give it to you? Because He loves you. Because you're His kid. He loves you. So that's what you ought to do. So He gives you food. But instead, sometimes of delighting in food and enjoying it and woohooing, we make a big funky thing out of it and food becomes our God. Foodie, foodie, foodie. Okay? I don't know if that's a real thing. Uh, wine, it's a beautiful thing. Have you ever seen me destroy their life as they try to root themselves in alcohol? Friendship, it's a gorgeous thing. Money, it's a gift from God. Marriage, sex, children. As a teacher, how many times have I seen parents trying to sustain and get their life from their kids? What a mess! What a mess when the helicopter mom comes in. It's a disaster. She's supposed to be cherishing her kids and loving her kids and providing for her kids and protecting her kids. Instead, she's using her kid for her energy. You're supposed to go to God for strength, not to your kids. Music, pets, beauty, na- pets. I had the best dogs in the world. Sam and JC. so much better than any of your dogs. Not that it's competition. They're the best dogs ever. But they are not meant to be God. Does that make sense? I mean, I work at Aspen. People almost worship their dogs. And they love talking to their dogs because their dogs are just going to wave their tail at them. They don't have a relationship with a real human being, but they got a relationship with a dog. Great! It's not what you were designed for. And guess what? Dog does not have the power to be God. It really doesn't. It's not going to sustain you. I know I'm in trouble now because I said something bad about dogs, but whatever. All right. So, are we on the right thread here? Are we going the right place here? Let me ask this question here. Jesus says this, okay? In John six sixty it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Delighting in the law of the Lord, the words that I give to you are spirit and life. If you abide in my word and my discip- you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and truth shall set you free. 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is saying, this is where you're going to get your life. Come to the scripture. Let it feed you. Let him speak to you. Now, could you turn this into an idol? Yeah. And would that be a problem? Yeah. Okay. The Bible is not meant to be your God, but it is a means of grace by which God speaks to you. Okay. And humans, you know, are really weird. We can turn almost anything into a God. Did you know that? It's bizarre. It's bizarre. But I've seen this where it becomes, this becomes funky in somebody's life. This was supposed to be what? An incredible gift from him. And all of a sudden it becomes something different. So let's not do that. Okay, one of the great things as a teacher, I would always try to get kids to use their imagination to be able to think through it eventually, right, Kelly? You got to get them to smell. So you're in a battle, you want, you want them to feel the sword going into the side and the smell of blood and the stickiness on their hand and the wind, and you want to just, you want kids to really taste it, right? If you're a great reader, when you read, Jonathan's probably maybe the best reader in here, when he reads, he feels it, right? You smell it. Your feet are in the sand, you got the breeze, the whole thing. You know it. That's what a great reader does. A bad reader hears, blah, 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 blah. blah. A great reader, wow, fires them up. They're, they're firing, okay? So I want you to be good listeners right now, and I want you to think three-dimensionally about these two verses and get this picture again of you setting your roots into God. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and have made their confidence, their hope in the Lord. He is like a planted tree by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and he's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. It's hard to picture that when I read it so poorly, but let's go on. Next one, Ephesians 3. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's love, and may you be able to comprehend with all the saints how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. Do you get the theme? Sending your roots down into the person of God, okay? And getting your sustenance from Him. So what are our marching orders to kind of finish this out here? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Colossians uh, chapter 2, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Let your roots grow down deep into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in truth as you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. So That's our call. So how would we do that? If we really believe that God is God and he has called us and he's given us an opportunity to live and to take our life from him, how do we do that? Bruner, uh, the commentary that Matt gave me, gave four ways that I thought were just awesome. The first one is prayer. Conversational prayer. uh, Formal prayer. Have you ever prayed the prayers of the saints? All the old dead people. Have you ever prayed their prayers? It's beautiful. Have you ever prayed scripture? There's nothing more powerful than praying scripture. You got a problem in your life? Pray scripture back to God. It's incredibly powerful. My favorite is a battle between the word and this next one, and that is communion. I love communion. To be able to come and to take the body and the blood of Christ, to receive his blessing through that, his means of grace, to come and to confess to him my sins and to just once again tell him who I am in my brokenness and how excited I am that he's forgiven me and redeemed me and cleansed me. Come to the table often. Break bread with your family often. One of the great things when my dad moved in with us, he wanted dinner at five o'clock every night. Son of a biscuit, if we didn't have dinner every night at five o'clock. And you know what? It was awesome. He brought, that brought, if you could do one thing, you, you young parents with kids, have dinner every night. Just make that time sacred. Because as soon as they get into junior high and high school, they're going everywhere. And, and I tell you what, because grandpa expected it, we made it happen. And sometimes it was later and sometimes it was earlier and sometimes they had late practice and basketball and we didn't eat dinner till eight o'clock. But dang it, we all sat down and had dinner. And that was beautiful. That's a form, if you will, of communion in a way, right? Is to break bread and have fellowship together. It's a powerful thing in your life. And then finally, his word. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Love. This is so interesting. Have a heart for one another. Is that okay? Have a heart for one another. And not just for the easy people. But for everybody at your work. For every one of those passengers that comes through or customers or patients. Have a heart for them. Understand them. Care about them. Reach out to them in some way. Love. I mean, think about it. If we were a body where we did those things where we prayed together, we took communion together, we delighted in the word together, and we had a heart for each other, this would be a pretty sweet place, wouldn't it? And in fact, it kind of is, right? It kind of is. All right. So in conclusion here, I want to read the notion. There's twin notions in the scripture. One is the roots, and I've really hit that hard. The other one is abiding. Where are you going to make your home? Making your home in God, right, is the other part of that. And so I want to go to Psalm 91 to finish. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. God is calling you into abiding with him. He's calling you into his house, into his home. Again, the gospel is not a call into ethics or better behavior or a different lifestyle. Rather, it's a wooing into relationship, okay? What does Jesus say? He's he's to be your friend. Have you ever had a great friendship? I don't know if there's a better gift that God gives us, a great friend. Cultivate those, okay? He calls you in to be his friend. He calls you in to, he conversely does a marriage. And you know the story about marriage. Marriage is either the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to you, or it's the most absolute awesome. And I was incredibly blessed, am incredibly blessed, to have the absolute awesome, okay? There's something so beautiful about marriage. And then finally, adoption, right? To be an adopted child, to be brought into God's family. So um, my encouragement to you guys is this, is that he calls you to embrace him, to be in love with him, to abide in his home and to be in the vine. I was just thinking, do you remember that place in Deuteronomy? He says, uh, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life that you may live you and your descendants. You can make this choice. Listen to these. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. That call into this abiding, that call into being the vine, being part of the vine is eternal. So I want you to think about coming into his home, to remaining with him, to continue with him, to stick with him, to make his home your home, to receive his protection, his covering, his provision. My granddaughter was here a couple weeks ago, right? And she's 10, half 11, and she's standing up, right? So she's standing up on the rocker. She's, hold, she's holding the rocker over here, right? Would I say that right? Yeah, 10 months. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Details. So she's <laughs> 10 months, right? And she's, she's holding up on the rocker. And I start, I'm sitting on the ground, probably, from me to Shelly, away from her. And I'm like, Ellie, it's G-Pops. Brr, you know, come talk to, I just want her attention, right? So I'm like, you know, dumb things you do. Um, and she turns around, and this girl has amazing capacity to lock eyes. I've never seen a baby like this. She just, and she, if a human walks in the room, boom, she's on it. She locks it, okay? And she looks at me, and she smiles. And she turns and plop down on her butt. Just a big old smile on her face. Now, as her G-Pops, as her grandfather, was there any condemnation in me toward her? There was nothing but love, pride, joy. She's my girl. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's the best. She's my granddaughter. I love her. If you in your heart would take one movement toward God, I will tell you this, as your father, as your heavenly father, his heart will have nothing but love and passion and delight for you. You see, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And the accuser would look at that situation and go, what the heck's wrong with you, kid? How come you didn't take seven steps? What are you doing falling on your butt? What's wrong? You're ten and a half months. Get it together, kid. That's what the accuser would say. And sometimes as we move toward God, we feel guilty because we don't always do it very well, do we? We sin, we fall, we break. But I'm telling you, God the Father loves you. And if you would move toward him, really good things are going to happen. And you need to live in that love. So one way we can do that is communion, Matt. Are we headed this way? Yeah, let's do that. Song first.